This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Welcome back to the Struck Podcast. This is episode nine. Uh, Alan, what's going on? Well, hey, Dan. Well, we're busily working away in coronavirus season, uh, but enough of coronavirus. I'm about done talking about that. What's new in, what's new in your neck of the woods? Uh, I got these really cool plastic handles that you can put grocery bags on. So it's like a real like handle. And then you, it's got these weird, I'm going to, I'm going to hold it up for the camera here. It's on my desk. You slip the Is little Is it a bags. handle for handles? It's a handle for handles. You put the bags in there. So when you're a city dweller, these things make your, I went to Costco like a month ago yeah. and I, and I like really loaded up and I put it all in two reusable bags and they're like probably 40 pounds each. Like they're very heavy. Which Whoa. is not that big a deal except those little like canvas or nylon straps that Earth. have those like they just like dig into your skin after a while. And yep. so it's like not the weight that's killing you. It's just like that it just really just digs into your fingers and your palm. So I got this. Yeah. That's a cool little piece of uh, ingenious plastic that I got from Amazon. So so that's news <laughs> in my life. Real exciting, right? I got some grocery grocery out? carriers. Well, mm-hmm. I like Pretty much all my uh, daily, I mean, you take this for granted when you've lived in the suburbs your whole life, which I which I have, which I am yeah. excited to be a city dweller, but, uh, and I and I say the word dweller semi-sarcastically because he says the word dweller, but um, it's those little things like when you get all your groceries, sometimes you have to get heavier stuff than normal, and sometimes I'll just be like in a place, I'm like, oh, I'll just get groceries here, and then I have like a 12-block walk home because I, I like walking, but that's kind of a long way to carry something heavy that's like digging in your hand, so... These yep. little creature comforts you can have in your backpack or your briefcase or whatever can come in handy. So, well, you need one of those little uh, little wagons I've seen where they load groceries in the wagon. You ever yeah, seen those? they call them buggies, but I'm not on buggies. the bu- I'm not on the buggy train because <laughs> number one, it's big, and I don't want, like if I'm gonna take something there, I'd rather carry it home personally because it's exercise, yeah, okay. like it's good grip strength, like it's a yeah, it's a good good thing to carry your groceries home, but. Just like those straps in my hands is not not gonna be a pleasant thing for long term. So plus so you can just, belt, you can yeah. ball up like five bags in it. You know when you like put all your groceries on one hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do the same yeah. thing with those handles, and it's super convenient. So cool little so piece of engineering. That, is it something that Jeff Bezos put on your Amazon screen? How does that all work? Make uh, that I've never seen that before. Obviously, Bezos knows um, I am not going to be doing that. <laughs> I figured they existed, so I kind of searched them. I don't know. I searched oh, okay. Like, grocery bag handles or something like that um <laughs> yeah i assume that but i did have a a grocery snafu the other day so i ordered instacart from costco yeah which uh you know the instacart's a grocery grocery delivery service yep yep and my first order which was like two or three weeks ago went fine without a hitch they had everything that i asked for or whatever this time they were out of a couple products which no big deal but you, the person can like message you from within the app and say, Hey, like this isn't there. Would you like me to swap something or whatever? Um, and so I like, I eat a lot of fruit. It's healthy. I really, you know, like fruit, like makes my body happy. I, I had two bags of like clementines, those five pound bags of clementines, you know? <laughs> hey, yeah. Which yeah, you, yeah. you can eat five pounds of clementines in like two days, like three days. Like they no just, sweat. Yeah. Easy. Gone. Yeah. And so they were out of clementines. And so the guy says, Hey, do you want to swap? 
a bag of oranges for it. Well, I already had a bag of oranges on the list in general because they're different. And I was like, no, just like scrap it from the order. And I guess he just didn't listen because he showed up at my door with 34 pounds of oranges. Like I I got... 34 pounds of oranges? So I ordered a separate eight pound bag of Cara Cara, those kind of like reddish uh, fleshed oranges, which are amazing. Yeah. And then he swapped 13-pound boxes of navel oranges for each of the five-pound boxes of clementines. Like, those are not a, <laughs> what a reasonable person wants that. Plus, I told you that I just didn't want that. Like, you just ignored my message. Um, and he replied to it, but he just like, I don't know, just didn't. So, I have, I have 34 pounds of oranges in my house right now. And I'm one person. And it's like, I don't know. And you can't, it's, it's you can't share havoc. it because... Well, no one wants no. to share with you now, yeah. right? So, yeah. like, no. stay away with your oranges. Yeah, Get I was that thinking corona about it. Orange away from me. Yeah. Well, come on, right? Oh my Can't gosh. Can't give food to you... people. Yeah. So, <laughs> no. I guess if I do, I mean, that's like <laughs> well, 50, you, you 50 oranges a... probably. So if I do you five can... a day for ten days, they might. I can maybe salvage them all, not waste them. You but... need to. You need to go on Amazon and buy yourself a juicer. And juice those oranges so you can at least change its form into a more compact form and then shove it in the refrigerator. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like take 30, 30 pounds of oranges, get about five gallons of orange juice out of it, and then there you go. That was Yeah, that was that was my family's suggestion as well. So I told them about my orange <laughs> crisis. But um, these are the hazards of getting... Uh, but that was just like an illogical decision for any human to make. It's like... You can't compare, this is like apples to oranges. You can't compare clementines to oranges. Like, I wanted 10 pounds of these little guys versus 26 pounds. No, yeah. what, what, kind of, what kind of swap is that? It's like, it's dude. Swap. Like, come on. Okay. So, so the question of the day, what is a clementine? So explain to people what a clementine is. Because I think in the States, we call them clementines. I'm not sure they're actually in a physical. Is that they're, the actual? They're, they're, a, they're mm-hmm. a variety of mandarin oranges. Is it a veteran mandarin or is it uh-huh. a tangerine? A mandarin is a tangerine, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, all right. So it's not truly an, uh, we a lot of times we say clementine oranges, but that's not actually the case. That's They're like the brand name. Brand. That's like the clementine brand name where they right. call cuties, cuties or right? whatever, that's, whatever yeah. the grower is or the distributor or whatever. They could, they'll right. just give them a different brand name, yeah. But I, when I was growing up, they were clementines. I don't know if they're still called that. I think they're like it just depends. We but call, yeah. Well. I've never had one until I was an adult. I probably didn't have one until probably 10 years ago because in the Midwest, I don't think I ever saw them. I worked in a grocery store for years through high school and college, and I I definitely did not run across a Clementine in the Midwest, so it's definitely an East Coast thing. Mm-hmm. Well, they're everywhere they now, are, yeah, but they're- Yeah, they're delicious. They're I mean, the great. first time I ran across them, I'm like, wow, these are great, yeah. Yeah, and I don't consider them a substitute for oranges, and we gotta we gotta no. stop talking about oranges for no. a second here. But they're not a substitute because they're very different, <laughs> but they're very convenient. They're way they're a lot more convenient, especially for little kids. So, oh yeah, yeah. But but yeah, because I could go on about fruit. I mean, if you don't know the the common <laughs> banana has a major extinction threat. It's it's going to go extinct actually. But we'll talk about that in another episode. So first thing on our docket today that's not fruit related. Um, is the E or the Air Race E? So yeah, tell come us on, about that's this. Cool. Seems pretty cool. What do, what do you got on this? Well, there's there seems to be some sort of uh, consortium being built around uh, aircraft races, kind of like the Reno Air Races, where you got these big Merlin V12 engines and these old P51 type airplanes, and um, 
they were creating a race series with electric airplanes. So similar airplanes, smaller airplanes than a P-51, obviously, but uh, um, electrically powered. And I think Airbus has an entry into it, and Airbus is a sponsor of this e-race. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the Red Bull series, have you ever watched the Red Bull uh, air, air series? Yeah, where those guys through are their cones? crazy. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. I think that ended last year. I don't think they're doing it this year. I think they were supposed to end last year. Uh, so there's like this void in this aircraft uh, racing thing that's going on, which is kind of cool to watch. I've watched it a number of times, the, the Red Bull thing. And I've watched, like today, they had the, the Reno Air Races on from from last year on ESPN, I think it was. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so the air racers are really cool. But an electric air race, I'm, I, I, I just watched a little bit of stuff I saw on YouTube the other day. Like, wow, those airplanes really have to move. Like we we're talking about with the, the Tesla cars going from zero to sixty in one point nine seconds. Well, these electric motors uh, can do things like that. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how that plays out. But they look like you had about eight, ten teams already established. And it's, I wonder if it's going to be like that drone racing league, which I've also seen on ESPN of all things, uh, where they don't need an audience there to watch it. They're just going to record it and, or broadcast it live and you can watch it live because, you know, part of the experience is being in the cockpit and you can't do that from the ground. Yeah. So it, it maybe it, it'd be an interesting series to, to see and if, if Airbus is going to step up and help sponsor it, that would be cool. It'd be cool to watch, right? Yeah, I think I've been somewhere where they were doing one of those because I, I remember feeling that same feeling, which was like, I, I don't really know what's going on. Like, it's, I was so far away from it that I couldn't yeah. really, it like, wasn't very impactful. But when you're watching it, it's super cool, like, from within the cockpit or when they just have the, I guess, the cameras, are there, are there little drones flying around filming them, maybe? I'm not sure, but... Yeah, the little drone, the one that I remember is the ones that are drones. We have that drone racing league uh, where they're inside the arena and they have little cameras on the drones, obviously, and mm-hmm. you, you're kind of flying around with the drones. But an and and electric aircraft is a totally different thing. And, you know, Airbus has been playing around with electric aircraft. I, I saw they shut down the program they had, which they had a four-engine, I think it's one engine out of the forwards electric, but they were going to go fly this electric um, aircraft, like a real aircraft with real you know, a, kind of a small airliner type thing. And they shut that down the other day, but hopefully they keep up with the electric aircraft stuff because, like, uh, George Bay and Bay Aerospace has been doing a lot of work on electric aircraft. It seems like they got two models, and I don't know if you heard the other day, but uh, the George Bay and Bay, uh, is it Bay Aviation? Uh, they're talking about a nine-seater electric aircraft. So they got the two, and they got the four-seater, and now he's... On a, I heard on the podcast, he said, we're going to introduce a nine-seater. Like, holy smokes, a nine-seat electric aircraft. Now, I want to see that. Let's 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 get some details on that. But uh, we're not going to – electric aircraft are here to stay. In my opinion, they're here to stay because they do sort of fit a certain niche. And they're efficient as all get out. And for, for you know, relatively short flights, it makes sense. Very well, efficient. So, what are the what are the limitations? What's holding them back right now? Is it just overall? I mean, it's not power. Well, it's it's got to be power to mm-hmm. some degree, right? I mean, they're not going to compete right. with a they're not going to become a commercial airliner. But what are right. the limitations at the moment? Well, the the the, the George Bay uh, projects with the E Flyer. It was the first time I actually heard a longer interview with George, who's an interesting person, has a very interesting background. Uh, but he was talking about uh, these these trainer airplanes. And you could go for an hour-long flight as a, in a trainer airplane, land it, 
plug it in for roughly 20 minutes, and it's recharged again for the next flight. 20 minutes? That's crazy. 20 minutes. That's crazy. <laughs> how can you play? How can, wait, this is making me angry. I can't charge my laptop in less than an hour, and you can charge a friggin' no. airplane? Are you kidding me? Well, it's all about current, right? And so the faster yeah, you're shoving give, current give, to give battery. Give me that better current. Shove that current in my devices, please. <laughs> you're going to need a plug the size of your head. I to don't care. Your laptop I want like that. that. <laughs> give me, give me, give me, give me that. All right, continue. Yeah, but isn't that cool? Uh, uh, because I, I I haven't heard that part of the e-flyer. I know... Uh, our friend Hector has been working on that a little bit, but uh, I haven't heard some of the details of the eFlyer because it's not a lot on the website and it's still close to certification. So as things develop, you kind of pick up, you just hear more and more details as it gets more closer to the certification. And uh, 20 minutes of charge time, that's nuts, right? Because it takes in a regular piston aircraft, if you go on a one hour flight as a training flight, as a student, and you come back down, you have to fill the aircraft full of fuel again it takes you longer than 20 minutes to do that because you got to yeah. get to the fuel truck got to haul the hose i mean fueling an airplane is not like fueling a car it's a it, it's similar in the sense that there's fuel being put into it but the process is a lot more manual labor involved in that typically gotcha so I mean, if they can do that in, 20 minutes is nuts yeah right? you can't run it's to the bathroom awesome. in the main building probably and come back in 20 minutes <laughs> no, no right right by the time you're right time you hit the head and come back and grab a soda or a snack or whatever the airplane's ready to go and you hop back in and take off now the other thing that george is pointing out which uh, didn't really occur to me there's a lot of times in a piston airplane where you're just you're just sitting there at idle warming the engine up to get everything up to up to temperature before you go do your thing mm-hmm. uh, in an electric aircraft you only use you only use the thrust when you need it Hmm. So you can just sit there, turn the thing off while you're waiting for traffic to you know come and go, whatever, uh, and then you get going again. So it it the there's a lot of energy saving uh, concepts because you don't need the prop always spinning to do like you do on a piston airplane. Just don't need it or a turbo prop airplane. Once you start it up, you're basically not shutting it down. You get everything to temperature, you get everything stabilized, and you just keep it running the whole way through. Uh, it's interesting. There's there's a lot of interesting work on with uh, electric aircraft and also the batteries that go along with it. Oh yeah, cool we, stuff. Yeah, and we talked about uh, Uber Elevate, their new yep. potential sort of taxi service from rooftop to rooftop. So it seems like it's yep. all kind of a uh, kind of going that way. So that, that's that's interesting. Well, speaking of Airbus, um, they have some potential bomb sniffing robots and potential biohazard yeah. sniffing robots. So yeah. What do you what do you got on that? Well, it looks like Airbus has been working on another company uh, to detect. Obviously, in an airplane or in an airport, you want to be able to detect that there's somebody with uh, munitions or explosives. And the way we have done it for forever is with uh, dogs. And you train dogs or animals that have really good noses to go sniff this stuff out so you make it like a game and the dog senses this out and and barks or whatever the animal's going to do but in the electronic world we haven't really been to reach the stage of um something that can just smell the air and say yeah, yeah hey that guy that guy's got some weapon on him right well it sounds like they can actually adapt that same technology to detecting viruses and i know there's been talk i think and I have to go back and look because I thought that at one point they had trained some animals to detect certain diseases. And maybe cancer was one of them. I don't remember exactly how that was, so don't hold me to it. But I, I think they can, think, yeah. 
right? Isn't there something weird about that? Like, like some animals can s- smell whatever that is. Yeah, and it's uh, weird. I have a, 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 a anecdote. I I was uh, was dating a girl maybe a year ago, and one of her dogs got cancer and and had to be put down, and oh. she put this little sad Instagram video out, and it showed her other dog licking the spot. It was right above his snout. He was just licking that spot over and over and over, and she's like. That's the exact spot where the doctor said like his tumor is, and this dog was wow. li- licking licking it like trying to heal him. It was so sad, wow, and, and, like heartwarming at the same time. But so that that little dog clearly knew, which is crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. But think about taking that same sort of sense that animals may have and making that electronic, where you could detect coronavirus. Yeah. How crazy would that be? So even if, so, we could get rid of the worry of somebody walking onto an airplane who was, you know, didn't have any signs of of having the virus, but was still could infect somebody else. If you could pick that up before they got too deep into the terminal or outside the terminal, or definitely before they got into an airplane. So even on the jetway, walking into the aircraft, you could cut that person off and send, and pull them aside and say, "Well, we're not, you're not going to fly today because you have coronavirus." Man, that would change the world. Uh, even if you could put some of that technology on the street, you know, how many people walking down the New York City street have had or, or actually have the virus? That would be a fascinating number. So there's some really cool technology in that. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that change the way we look at coronavirus today, Dan? I mean, if we knew that? Well, I also feel like that's a little bit, I feel like that's going to, there's going to be a lot of like medical ethics questions with that because- you think? Well, A, what if it's, I mean, there's going to be some error in it, right? I mean, it can't be 100% yeah. true. And so, so one, well, right. all right, you're stepping on a plane with your family and it says, hey, sir, you can't come on here. And yeah. because we, we, we detected that you have this and then you can't fly and now your fa- or and now your family can't fly or whatever. And then you later find out that it, it was a false positive. So, it's like, what happens yeah. then? Like, there's a lot well, of that. Well, it needs to be vetted. Yeah. Yeah. But well, it can't always it, be 100%. And then also the idea no. of. No. Like, does the flight attendant really get a, do they, should they be privy to your medical? Like, what if no, it's full, scanning your whole body? Like, what if it, what if they can then suddenly it just pulls up all of your medical history? Like, do Dan, they, they're doing that already. Do they get to know that data? You live in Washington, D.C. Of all places, you should know that when you walk down the mall in Washington, D.C., they know who you are. There's enough cameras there to know facial recognition. They know who you are. Yeah, but the the Secret Service man doesn't know if I have you know, diabetes or something. I mean, I don't think no. they're allowed to know. That's what I'm saying. Like, if this is pulling, no. it's it's pulling you and, and scanning you and saying, oh, this guy has this, like, who gets that data? You know, if someone's going to make a snap decision about where I can enter a building or where I can't, like, does Starbucks get to know that I have X disease in my medical record and they can exclude me from their, you know, their, that seems, that's where I feel like just like the ethics of it are going to be com- very, cl- very cloudy. You know what I mean? We're getting to we're going back to Minority Report, aren't we? Is this where this headed? Minority Report and Tom Cruise. <laughs> I don't know if it's Minority Report, but it's one of these sci-fi movies. I mean, that's a very real thing, and I can't remember where they were talking about that recently. I was I was listening to that kind of discussion. Um, there they had a bio biomedical ethicist on on television from like MIT or Harvard or somewhere, and he was well, talking I, about I, implications I, for something yeah. going forward. Yeah. Well, it, it's just like. Okay, okay, so let's just go to the example of the United States. It happens every day, probably hundreds of times a day. Uh, get pulled over by the police, like 
he's got a canine unit, walks a canine unit around your car, says, hey, my dog indicates that you have, you know, uh, 800 kilos in the back of your, <laughs> the back of your van. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to take a look, right? Um, right. There's a lot of, we've already kind of been through the initial process of that. Like, all right, yeah. how, how true are the dogs? How accurate is this thing? How, what rights does the, 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 the owner of the vehicle have? So it isn't like we haven't thought of it, right? And as a society, we're going to have to come up with, with limits to it. Like we do on, every, on a lot of different things. But on a contagious, on a contagious disease aspect, uh, I think you're going to be stuck between a rock and a hard place in that you could be do, doing the person themselves a huge favor by saying, hey, you're contagious. You, we need to get you, need to have you looked at because you could, you could possibly die from this thing. And from the greater sense of the community, we don't want to spread it to the community and, and cause some of the havoc that's we've recently seen. I think there's, I, I agree with you. There's some uh, ethics that have to be dealt with, but also it's sort of beneficial to the person you're pointing it out to. Yeah. 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 I mean, that just, uh, it just opens up a can of worms potentially where what mm. if it, what, what if, you know, you have the system and it can detect 38 different diseases and they just have to check on the one who's preventing, you know, some employee, in airline X from checking a bunch of other boxes and now scanning all the passengers for all these different diseases and then maybe blackmailing some of them because they say, hey, hey, Dan, you traveled today. And guess what? If you pay me $10,000, I won't reveal that you have X condition, you know, or Sally, I know mm. that you have this. What's, you know, yeah. it's that kind of, it, it's it's a potentially going to expose. But anyway, these are just, these are just conspiracy theories down the rabbit hole kind of things. But this, no, this I, is an I, interesting, I, the, yeah. The, techno- the technology won't happen until you deal with those issues. Right? This is true. Uh, yeah. you, you're never going to see that piece of equipment. Americans are paranoid a lot of times, and maybe rightly so, because we've been to a lot of situations which we've been mm-hmm. right about. Uh, but if you start putting sensors in airplanes, you are going to get Americans in particular upset about it and not fly because they're watching what's, you know, they got an eye in the sky. Yes, that's all true. So we've always seen to work out those situations and put limits in. Um, this is like with Google and Facebook and all these other things, right? We've put limitations on them too. It's going to be hard, but I, I think if we if we did have that technology today, and say it wouldn't even pick out, say it wouldn't pick out in in, in particular, like that guy has has coronavirus, but you could say someone's on this aircraft has coronavirus. We all need to get off, and we need to have our temperature checked. Okay, I'm game. I'm I'm totally game. If I'm yeah. walking, if I'm on a subway in New York City, I think I want to know the same thing. Like. Hey, there's 15 people. There's there's there is something wrong in this car that I'm on. Maybe I ought to exit and figure it out. I, I'm game for that too. Yeah. Well, yeah. then we, maybe we can also like make it like a, I don't know, like a, I don't know where I was going with that. But there's a there seems like there's a lot of implications for that kind of stuff. Of course, the big yeah. reference, which when you sent me this article, is the Fifth Element. Like they've <laughs> that scene <laughs> cracks me up when you know the. Uh, if you haven't seen The Fifth Element, it's a very strange sci-fi movie with Bruce Willis and Chris Tucker, Chris Tucker. who's playing a woman. Or he's like, no, he's not playing a woman. He's playing a very feminine no. DJ. He like dresses yeah. up like a woman, but um, it's a very weird, quirky, <laughs> cultish uh, sci-fi movie that I enjoy. But uh, when you sent me that article, I, I I sent you the clip of it. But yeah, the they're on this like spaceship, cruise ship, and um chris uh chris tucker's character he goes no 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 no, there can't be a bomb because like the bomb there's rumor to be a bomb on board he's like no there can't be a bomb because all these all these ships 
they all have bomb detectors. And then suddenly right. <laughs> the bomb detector goes off that there's a, there's a bomb on board. So that was immediately what I thought of. But um, so we're going to transition here to the Russian airliner. Uh, so the pilot of the Superjet 100 that crashed a year ago um, yeah. gave an interview. The 43-year-old captain, Yev Dakamov, gave his first post-crash interview, uh, basically giving his side of the story, which sounds mm. somewhat reasonable. Um, yeah. despite the fact that Russia seems to have blamed all of it on his lack of judgment and basically like just, I mean, they kind of made him into the scapegoat of this for just poor judgment and just did everything wrong by the book. But, um, I mean, what's, what's your take and what did you, uh, what did you learn in this article, Alan? Well, I, the first thing is you're getting a pilot's perspective. The aircraft has a flight data recorder. Most, I think all transport category aircraft have to have a flight data recorder. Uh, only some have cockpit uh, voice recorders. Mm-hmm. A cockpit voice recorder would tell you even more about how the pilots were reacting. And uh, it doesn't sound like there's a cockpit voice recorder in this particular aircraft. Or no one, none of the officials have actually t- talked about it in any article I've read. It's been about flight data recorders. So the flight data recorder monitors a bunch of information like what will the control services doing, what are the pilot inputs, uh, how the aircraft is responding, all these different bits of data about aircraft performance. Now, the pilot said, inter- interestingly, that... Once they had the lightning strike occur, the aircraft uh, flight control computer, let's just call it that, because there's no direct physical link between the control yoke and the control surfaces. So on a small airplane, you pull back on the stick and there's actually a cable that makes the rudder go up and down for example. In this particular airplane, it's all electronic flight controls. So you pull back on the stick, it sends a command out to an electric actuator, and the electric actuator does its thing. On top of that, there's some control laws that are put in to make the aircraft perform handle in certain ways based on the phase of flight you're in. And what the pilot was saying is the aircraft dumped the flight control um, softening or uh, extra controls that the computer puts in and went to basically direct mode. So as you pull back on the stick, the aircraft pulls the nose up. That's what it's supposed to do. There's no buffering in, inside of the thing. And what the pilot was saying was when it went to direct mode, the aircraft went to direct mode, it, uh, electrical systems indicated something was wrong. It went to direct mode with the lightning strike, and then the pilot inputs were not happening on the control surface. So the pilot said there was like a one-second delay, or he pulled back on the stick and the nose would go down. And so it got very difficult to control the aircraft. Obviously, the flight data recorders are going to tell you you what happened there because they should have that information. Now, the other part about it is... uh, you know, questions regarding whether the pilot should have landed the aircraft uh, heavy or not. I, I think typically the answer is no. But his response is, well, I couldn't control the aircraft, so it wasn't like I was going to be able to keep in the air much longer. I needed to get on the ground heavy or not because we're going to hit the ground. There's no way I can keep this aircraft flying. That's essentially what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, and that that's uh, that's understandable i think also especially in the in the urgency of the situation uh the fire that happened during the landing because the aircraft bounced a couple of times and then uh, the, the landing gear it looked like from the videos and what the some of the articles are saying the landing gear actually broke uh broke off and actually tore part of the wing tank and the fuel comes out over the hot engine and all the hot landing gear and then it catches fire some kind of sparks going off and it catches fire then they had that serious fire so 
there's some certification things about aircraft where that's not supposed to happen. Um, they design the aircraft in theory that the landing gear kind of folds folds under and you end up uh, you know grinding the bottom of the airplane off and the wing tanks don't get penetrated. Yeah, all, all that's true, but this is a very, it's, the aircraft was heavily loaded, it's full of fuel, so it's overweight for landing. All, there's all a whole bunch of things going on. And it kind of gets back into that same situation we were talking about on the 737. Like, your pilot reactions to particular emergencies, you can get overwhelmed. And yeah. I'm saying this pilot got overwhelmed, but it's possible. Don't you think with, man, you're, you got a fully loaded airplane, you're taking off, and then boom, lightning strike. And the aircraft gets in a weird, a different mode you're not used to, and you're flying this thing uh, in direct, quote unquote, direct mode, and it's not responding like you want to. Then panic, panic has to set in at that point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and like you said, I mean, 41 people lost their lives. The back half of this plane caught fire. It's a really bizarre video that they released a couple weeks ago. People kind of. You know, people from the front half of the plane, which was front half of the plane, which was, you know, higher class passengers kind of yep. like taking their sweet time a little bit, coming out of the suitcase, like running for a little bit of luggage. Like, yeah, you look yeah. at this this video and the back half of this plane is engulfed in flames and there's people running for like 30 meters and then they sort of just like stop and walk. It's like you need to hustle a little more there, friend, like. It was really bizarre. Yeah. I don't know. Wasn't like, it odd? Like, wasn't there a person taking a cell phone? Had it pulled out their cell phone? Was taking a picture? I mean, you got to get thing? it for like, the for the gram. You know, it's for like, the, what for in the heck are you doing? Right. First off, there's at there's least a, run backwards um, while you're taking your you know your your right. plane. The plane I was just on has exploded with people inside of it. Video. You know, at least run. You at least got, run backwards. Got, yeah. You have. I think you have two options in that situation. One, run like heck and get away from it. Smart move. The other one is help the other people who are coming out to run like heck and to get away from it which wasn't happening odd i don't know how else to describe it it's odd yeah that's uh that's a situation for sure where if there's someone near near you as you get off who can't run as fast as you you grab their arm and you help them run a little faster and you both just sprint and you go because that whole thing could just explode it could have exploded like you can't oh wait near that plane and you certainly don't run and then then walk I mean, it was like, no. this isn't your eighth grade, you know, two mile run. And it doesn't really matter if you don't finish, you know, like you need to get yeah. going. It was, it was a bizarre video. It's just, uh, yeah. it just didn't add up. Like what was in these people's mind? I mean, right. Ugh, it's baffling, know. but, but no, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I think all the, obviously I have no experience in this, but with all these different bells and whistles going off that something happened that you weren't expecting as you're just like calmly, all right, we're off the ground. Like, all right let's do this and then suddenly you're quickly in like a fight for your life like this plane's not responding i mean that's uh i think you have to be understanding of like some errors anyway like if a pilot's makes a wrong decision there is it really yeah like this you know malicious like he just didn't follow protocol or if it's like hey i tried my best to follow protocol but things kind of got crazy, and I and I made an right. error. Like I, I don't know if yeah. that's because they're trying to uh, file I, I criminal, criminal charges again. Yeah, and they're yeah, trying to file criminal uh, charges against him. If they haven't yeah. already. Well, they they have, and yeah. he's got an attorney, and uh, his attorney was in, in some of these articles talking about uh, some of the evidence not being brought forward about the aircraft design. Yeah, that I, you know, it, if you're going to really get into this thing, you got to look at the pilot's reaction but you also look at the aircraft reaction and there was some discussion now every article i've read about this incident is slightly different 
on the lightning side of whether they're looking at lightning um, affecting the aircraft systems or not. There's there's one article in particular which talked about doing some structural lightning structural evaluations of the aircraft, like something on the mm-hmm. aircraft physically broke. That would be interesting because that would maybe change the way the aircraft performed, clearly. Uh, and then also looking at the different systems, how do all these systems go offline simultaneously? Initially, there was like loss of comms, loss of navigation, loss of uh, autopilot, all these. You know, the, the first read on it was mostly electrical and avionic systems really shut down. That's going to make the aircraft a lot more difficult to fly. Now, flight data recorder will also tell you that if there's power on the aircraft. We're going to learn a lot more, but you know, just like with the 737 and Airbus accidents that have happened over time, the goal of all of this is that we learn from what happened to so that we design systems in so that this doesn't occur again. That's the that's the real output. It's just like with auto accidents, right? You made the cars much more tolerant of of crazy drivers and crashes. Airplanes are no different. No different. Don't, wouldn't you expect that to happen, Dan, that they go back and they go, hey, this this is a list of things that happened and we want to go take a look at these airplanes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, one question I have as a, you know, a, a little bit of an outsider is why don't they just make the landing gear more robust to take a more overweight landing? Uh, you ever watch them do the hard landing tests on landing gear? It's severe. When they do the drop test, they design those landing gear to take a lot. But at some point, just just the landing gear. Well, yeah, because the landing gear is attached to the wing box, usually a spar or some some sections of spar. Spars are the main low-carrying structures of a wing. So the landing gear ties into that, and what you don't want to do is what happened in this in this Moscow accident, which is you you take the landing gear and you start to tear apart the wing structure where it holds fuel. Now, some some airplanes, some plane airplanes are designed such that if the landing gear were to kind of get ripped off like that, there's no fuel behind there, so the mm-hmm. landing can get ripped off and it tears off the structure in the wing and it all kind of goes away and there's no fuel pouring out. There are There is a lot of thought and structure design in it, 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 but it's all weight, right? So the beefier you make the landing gear, the more weight you're carrying all the time, and the landing gear aren't used in flight and are just kind of dead weight for the flight, right? So you have to balance weight versus strength versus safety, which is what engineers are paid to do. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a suitable answer. My question has been put to bed. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, you saw about these over overweight landings. It's like, well, just make the plane yep. take a. But obviously, like you said, there's just a, there's just a point where it's just too much, and it's just becoming overkill, and you just got to understand. It's it's just interesting as an outsider to think that when a plane takes off, it just can't come back right away. Like it has to burn off some of that fuel. It's interesting. I remember. Yeah. Well, you remember you that incident? That? Go ahead. You ever watch that happen where they have an airplane, like I've seen it a number of times where an airplane's taken off, they had maybe a sick passenger or the landing gear wouldn't Mm -hmm. pull up into the wings and they got to go dump fuel. Mm -hmm. And so there are, there are valves on the, on big transport airplane where they just go out and dump fuel to get down to the weight where they can land it. Right. Or they've Mm -hmm. gone and they burn fuel on a small business jet. They tend to go out and burn fuel. Yeah. That, that's why, because you don't want to overweight the landing gear and cause it to rip up the wing structure and then have a fire. <laughs> that's yeah. why they do that. Yeah, it makes sense. Of course, remember they poured uh, the one that one pilot dumped fuel, and this was not funny for the, anyone involved, but 
um, they dumped fuel in that playground of kids in California was oh, it, like yeah. a couple months ago. Yeah, so that brought to light that practice. Yeah. yeah, that was a shame. But yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's a, it's a shame with a Russian airliner. Hopefully they can sort through that and just figure yeah. out what happened and obviously how they could just fix the situation in the future rather than just applying blame, which <laughs> seems like the main game at the moment. Like it's a sad, it's a terrible situation, but it doesn't seem like blaming is the biggest uh, priority. I'm not sure legal action is going to change any of the outcome. No. Right? I don't think so either. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't change anything. No, no, definitely not. It's not bringing people back and, you know, with their families. I don't, I don't think people view, I, I mean, I certainly don't um, know for sure, but I don't know that people are really viewing plane crashes as, I don't know that anyone's going after the pilots and thinking like, you did this to us. I think, you know, air travel is very safe and I think yeah. people know that pilots are highly skilled and have to make complex decisions with people's lives every day. I mean, just like anyone else and in a, in a high stress environment, um, it just, it, it just seems odd in, in a lot of different ways, the whole story. Well, if, if they had done after accidents in the United States, the first thing that gets happened is they do a drug test. Mm-hmm. Bingo, right? Right. You know, there's some sort of, sort of sort of incapacitation that happens on the pilot. But if the pilot is has all their faculties there, they didn't have a stroke or something of that sort, well, you want to get as much information about that accident as you humanly can. If you're going to put the guy in a lawsuit, well, they're going to shut up, and yeah. their lawyers are going to tell them to shut up, and then we, the flying public, don't get the benefit of that guy's input or that woman's input onto what actually happened or what the, or what they perceive to happen, which is sometimes more important than what actually happened. You need all that information. And, in the, and, and at least in the States, for the most part, uh, if there's not some sort of alcohol, drug dependency, something like that, uh, they're just trying to get the information out of the pilots. Now, they may, they may pull the guy's pilot's license and say, well, you can't fly because you've made this horrible mistake. Yeah, for all this, sure. All the stuff. But... That, I mean, that's as, obviously that ends a career, but it doesn't land the pilot in jail, which is a totally different animal. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, you said, I think aviation's continue to get safer because you, there's a lot of people learning and getting to the bottom of it and creating additional regulations and yep. making sure this doesn't happen again. That seems like the main, the main thing. Make, let's make sure well, this doesn't happen again. Yeah, and did you see the thing about Harrison Ford the other day out in California? Yeah, he's like doing all sorts of weird, unsafe, strange things well, in his little plane. He, and he's he's been in, in a couple of incidents that I I remember. Now mm-hmm. I'm not a historian on Harrison Ford's flying abilities, uh, but he does sound like an accomplished pilot. He's been flying a long time, been flying himself around for a long time. But it sounded like he crossed over a threshold, which means he crossed onto an active runway. Uh, and he didn't realize it. There was some communication with the tower. It, it got a little confused. It sounds like it got a little confusing. He he read it one way. The the, the 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 control tower meant something else, and so he got his wires crossed. So he ended up on a runway which had an airplane coming in on it. Uh, obviously, nothing seriously happened about it. But in cases like that, there's actually a reporting system that the FAA and NASA. I think it still runs through NASA. So if you have an incident like that, like you screw up. Uh, you go onto an active runway or you make a wrong turn or you get the wrong flight altitude or that kind of thing. They have a self-reporting system that basically absolves you from any sort of legal consequence. So there's a lot of report. And then what they do take with that data is they take all that data. Like this is the, this is the situations that pilots get into uh, by accident. 
let's look at those and accumulate those, get that data and figure out ways that we can avoid that. And in mm -hmm. this particular case, it, it may have been the control tower enunciating the words more clearly or using better words. Control towers can, if you ever listen to air traffic control, they get very choppy about uh, the words that they say because there's some sort of, there is, because if you fly long enough, you hear this long enough, you know what's coming. Yeah. Right. So if, if if you're listening, if you think something is coming and it doesn't, and there's actually a slightly different command being given, that's when errors occur. Right. So it's not only the person speaking; it's the person listening, and uh, there, with that self-reporting system, it helps us wade through some of that stuff. Yeah, that makes that makes sense because then, it, like you said, it allows people to talk freely, and we can all share the yeah. problems and learn we from them. Eliminate them. Yeah. Yeah, we can get better. Right. Right. No, that makes yep. sense. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Struck. Uh, for Alan, um, thank you for being here again for uh, your aviation advice. And, uh, you know, your takes on, on, on crashes like these where lightnings evolves are always interesting because there's I think that's another layer to the story that most people just uh, they're not privy to. And they think, oh, lightning. OK, but there's just a lot that goes into it and just the way it interacts with the uh, the systems and the pilot and all the, the warnings and stuff like that. It's it's crazy that it's still a thing today, but it's still a very real thing. Um, it definitely is. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up, but uh, be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify or iTunes and whatever podcast platform of uh, you choose. And be sure to check us out on YouTube for full video episodes as well as short clips from each show. And uh, we will see you here next time on the Struck Podcast. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WGLightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.